0: Two years ago, I had a procedure altered epiphany that drastically changed how I ran my rental investments, including my property management company. It all started when I met a fellow investor at a networking event. After a few run-ins over a couple months, our conversations began to become more in-depth and, well, useful. When you're first networking with somebody, it's more just general like, oh, weather and kids and pop culture, but we'd finally gotten to the point where Our discussions became much more in-depth and actually more personal in a professional way. I was telling him about how I was frustrated with some of my newer tenants being demanding and flighty and I just wasn't getting the tenants that I had wanted either for my investments or for my company. I had a hard time getting rent on time and they scheduled repairs, but then they changed their minds one hour before the appointment. And they only followed the rules that were convenient for them. And what was interesting was, I didn't notice at the time, but he immediately began asking questions of me. He began by asking very particular questions about things like scheduling the showings and conducting the showings and collecting money and lease signings. Things that I honestly didn't think was going to be related to what my problem was. But a few questions in, I began to realize that he was probably funneling towards some sort of point with all of these questions. At the end of the many questions, he smiled and he said, I know what your problem is. And I was shocked. I was like, I've had this problem for months and I've sat here and discussed it with you for maybe 30 minutes, and you know what the solution to my problem is? This just seems too good to be true, and you've got to be crazy, you don't know what you're talking about. This is what I was saying in my head, by the way. I'm obviously not going to say these things to his face. I wasn't too convinced he had a solution, but I was curious to at least hear him out. So I told him, okay, go ahead, tell me what you think my problem is. He went on to explain that from the moment that my staff initially speaks to a prospective tenant, we are already beginning to seed power and establishing the tone of the tenancy with how we operate during that time period. From the moment we pick up the phone or we send an email or we show up at a showing, we have begun to already establish how the tenancy is going to go. The tenant is already testing us at this point, and they're trying to see where our limits are, how fast and true we're going to be to certain things, and how we operate in general. What I had failed to notice during our conversation was that this gentleman was writing feverishly on a napkin as I was talking. And then he suddenly began to reference that napkin. So during all of his questions that he had asked, he had actually been taking notes on what my answers were. He went on to explain that when we reacted and scheduled a showing for a few hours from the time of the phone call, when we had no other showings going on at that time, we were sending the message that the tenant's time was more valuable than ours. Meaning that because we were so eager to jump and put everything down and go and do that showing, whether it be that moment or three hours from then, if there wasn't an existing appointment that we said we were tacking them on to, it makes us look as though we're valuing their time more than our own. He went on to explain that we were furthering the problem by asking our leasing agents to stay 10 to 15 minutes later if someone wasn't there on time. And to make matters worse, when they did show up during that time frame, we allowed her to continue the showing and encouraged it as if they weren't even late at all. I thought that we were being understanding by doing this, but it turns out we were really kind of being suckers. This is one of the ways that we were already setting the tone and we never realized it. Then he said something that really hit me. He said, You have been setting the tone for a tenant dominated relationship from the first action. I spent the next hour of that event going through scenarios and scribbling out notes and procedures on my own stack of cocktail napkins because I knew this guy had a lot of good stuff to tell me that truly was going to fix my problem. There is a difference between being flexible and a doormat. If you become a doormat for the pre-tenancy phase, which is everything that involves the application, the showings, the scheduling, you will notice that when the person moves in, your rent dates are fluid, your rules are nice when they work for the tenant, and your words aren't enforceable at all. Your communication and actions during this time period should establish the idea that you are the one who will control the relationship. If they seize control in the pre-tenancy days, you will never get it back, and you will always be their second fiddle until you man up and kick them out. I know you might be thinking, seriously, you have to kick them out? You do, because once you cede that power to them, it is incredibly hard, almost impossible to get it back. So we're going to start taking an in-depth look at the ways that we as landlords Set the tone for our tenancies before the tenant actually gets their keys. So, we're going to look at the move in process, we're going to look at the lease process, and we're also going to go back further than that. We're going to look at the applications, the showing, and scheduling the showings because all of these sections influence how the tenant believes their tenancy is going to proceed. We're going to look at how you set the tone for the tenancy in the way you want it the first 60 days of your relationship with that tenant. We're going to talk about common landlord mistakes and ways to change it so you are establishing control of the relationship from the beginning. It's sales 101 to always be pleasant and happy when someone calls that wants to rent your place. After all, they want to make your life easier and they want to fill your vacancy. Your initial greeting on the phone should always, always be kind and energetic. Not that it was an imposition to answer the phone. If it's not a good time, don't answer the phone. Coming across as crass or short will do nothing for the tone of the contact and does more harm than not answering the phone. After you've answered with your greeting, it's a great idea to match the tone of the caller. If someone is calling with a quiet voice and sounds shy, bring your tone down to match theirs. It will be audibly reassuring to them that your tone has now matched theirs. When we get someone who wants to see our property, as a landlord, we jump out of our chairs, grab our keys, and get in our car, and show it as soon as possible. Because we don't want to lose them. We want to fill that vacancy. Time is money. Now, if you are a leasing agent for a company, maybe that's fine because your sole job is being available to rent the unit and do showings. But as a landlord, when you do that, you're sending a completely different signal. You want to make sure that the tenant knows that your time is of value to you and that you schedule your time carefully. Doing so will let the tenant know that you have other obligations and not set the false standard that you will always jump to assist them. When scheduling a showing, try and do it around 24 hours in advance, unless you do have another showing already scheduled that you can piggyback off of. But make sure it's clear to the tenant that you're already going to the property and you already have someone also being shown it at 4 p.m. or whatever time. It's not uncommon for landlords to do group showings, And if you're not doing them, it's a great idea because it not only saves you time, but it also creates this sense of competition. People are more likely to apply for a unit when they're in a group showing because there's there's, there's this idea of demand. Another strategy that you can use is open houses. You can set open houses weekly for a certain time. These are most effective on the weekends and advise your callers you'll be at the property then. You are still establishing control of your time, but also giving them the opportunity to see the property. The feeling from landlords that use this strategy is that if a tenant really wants to rent your unit, they will make arrangements to be at your open house. And this is another way that you are reinforcing that your time is money and it is your obligation to control your time. Another reason you don't want to necessarily jump and do a showing right away is that you may come across as desperate. There's a saying in the rental investment industry that desperation on a date makes people run away. Desperation in the landlord makes bad tenants stay. So keep that in mind whenever you're on the phone as another reason why you shouldn't jump immediately and go and show someone a unit. Be methodical with your time. Don't come across as desperate. And also be sure that you're honoring your time first. So why is it so important in this stage? What are we saying right now? By sending the message that we work on a schedule, we're telling them subconsciously that when they need things done, we will do it on our time. If we set the precedent with a tenant, That we will jump and show them the unit when they're available. We may be telling them on a very small level that when they need something repaired in their unit, we're going to jump immediately, regardless of whether it's emergency or not. When they need a document signed, we're going to jump immediately and do it right away. This is one of the ways we're sending subtle messages that later on, when they become a tenant, will already be in their mind and programmed into them as to how their tenancy should work. When you're at the property for the showing, it's important to remember that you are there to sell the unit to them, but that also that your time is money. If the person doesn't call within five minutes of the showing start time to say they are lost or had an emergency, it's important to remind yourself that you have a schedule and other tasks to handle. So never wait more than 10 minutes. I tell our leasing agents at five minutes, you are free to go, but I definitely don't want you there past 10. It's your choice if you choose to call the prospective tenant while you're still there. I usually advise my agents to do this after they have left the property though. Why do I want them to do it after they left the property? Because if they already left the property, if they're maybe at the McDonald's down the road and they call the tenant and the tenant answers, They can say to the tenant, well, I'm sorry, I'm no longer at the property, so I can't do the showing right now, but we can certainly reschedule you. If a tenant isn't courteous of your time before they move in, they surely aren't going to value your time after they move in. If they don't value your time, it's harder for them to value your bank account and putting money into it. Now that you've showed someone the unit, you're hoping you get an application. And maybe you did get an application. Now the first thing is it's really important to stick to your application requirements, not only for the sake of fair housing, but it's also just reinforcing the idea that the rules that you put in place are rules that are meant to be followed. With fair housing, you always wanna be sure you treat everyone the same, which means you really should be sticking to your application requirements. This includes whether or not you accept People have had foreclosures and bankruptcies, different felonies, different misdemeanors. It's really important to keep that on the up and up for fair housing. But another reason is maybe even if fair housing never discovers it, if you bend your rules for a tenant to move in, then your rules have suddenly become flexible. Now, you might not be thinking that. You're thinking you're giving this person a second chance. But what they see is that you had these rules, but you were willing to bend them for this person. Which means that that list of rules and attachments to your lease that you give them, they suddenly become flexible too. When your lease terms become flexible in the tenant's eyes, that's when you really begin to lose control of your property. That's why it's really important to stick to your application requirements. You created these for a reason. It's the rules that you want to follow. So follow these rules and make sure you're setting the precedent that your tenants will follow all the rules that you put forth by not appearing to be flexible with your requirements. And this isn't just in regards to your application requirements about background check or credit check. It also applies to anything regarding the application fee or holding money as well. If your policy is that you don't run an application until the application fee is in your hand, make sure you stick to that deadline. Make sure you have that in your hand before you run that application. If you require a holding money to be put towards security deposit before the unit is taken off the market, then be sure you have that before you take the unit off the market. Don't do anything that sways from your original money deadlines that you have in place. If you start sending the message in the pre-tenancy phase that the money deadlines are flexible, this is certainly when they begin to think that the rent payment deadline is also flexible. So be sure to stick to your application fee requirements and your holding money requirements. Don't ever stray from those. Your money deadlines should never be negotiable. Never, ever. So, so far we've covered a few ways that we are sending subtle messages to the tenant. When we jump on a showing, we're sending them the indication that maybe their time is more valuable than ours. When we wait at a showing, when we wait more than five minutes, we're sending them the indication that their time is more important than ours. When we get to the application process, and we present them with the requirements, what we look for in the application and what they have to do to secure the unit, once we begin to stray from those requirements, we're sending the message that our rules are flexible, that they're not necessarily written in stone because, well, we didn't hold to them here. We're already making motions that are telling the tenant that they can pay money when they want, that we will jump when they need something and that our rules aren't necessarily where the buck stops. So, so far we've looked at the pre-tenancy phase. We've looked at the time before the tenant is committed to signing a lease and moving into the unit. Now we're going to move on to when they actually sign the lease and become your tenant. Chances are, most of us have had a tenant call us before the first to see if they can move in early or maybe it's something that they brought up during their application. Sometimes they're just looking for a day or two so that they can clean their previous unit on the 31st or the 30th and provide it back to their current landlord, clean and in good condition by the end of their lease. This is a completely respectable thing to do and it's also something we actually want to see our tenants doing but other times they're looking to move in four or five days early. We have no problem appeasing these phone calls if three circumstances are met. Number one, the unit is ready at the time of their call. Two, if we haven't already set their move-in appointment with them. And three, if we can reasonably fit it into our schedule to do it. These are three requirements that we make sure we stick to. So the first one, the unit has to be ready at the time that they call. We don't say anything in regards to when they can move in early. If the unit isn't ready, we want to have everything done. The carpet cleaning, the cleaning, the repairs, the painting, everything has to be done. No exceptions. Number two, if we haven't already set their move-in appointment with them, we can look at something earlier than we typically do on the 31st or the 1st. One of my personal pet peeves is rescheduled appointments for move-ins because, they be, because the beginning of the end of the month is always jam-packed already. So moving people around is that much more of a hassle. So if we already have an appointment on the books with them, we don't change that date. Three, if we could reasonably fit it into our schedules. Again, we're reinforcing the idea that our time is money. Our time is valuable. And also no matter how many days they move in early, we always charge a daily rate. The only day that we don't charge for is when they take the keys on the last day of the month. So if they move in on the 28th, the 29th, the 30th, they are paying a daily rate. The 31st or the 1st, they don't pay a daily rate. I cannot stress this next point enough. Never let a tenant move in without a full security deposit and first month's rent paid in a non-bounceable form of payment. So non-bounceable form of payment, I'm talking about A verified money order, like from TransUnion, or cash. If you're still taking cash, that's fine. Even if you followed all the pointers that we've laid out so far in this podcast, and you throw this one by the wayside, you have lost control at the most important time. And that is the move in, the first money payments. You have lost control over their first payments and you are surely, surely setting a precedent. One of the hardest things to do as a landlord, especially if you're a landlord who fixes your own property, is to set the tone in regards to repairs on move-in day. We really, really have this instinct to jump and fix something that's wrong so that their very first experience with us is stellar. This is what we have to say to that. Shit happens. Yes, shit happens. As long as you've gone and checked the unit before the tenant came for any last minute things that you could have done, the stuff that just happens to come up during the move-in can wait for an actual scheduled maintenance appointment. If you have a ceiling bulb that suddenly decides to burn out, or the faucet decides to start to drip a little bit, that's fine. You can leave them be and come back for an actual maintenance appointment. It can be handled the next day. Responding to it in that moment like it's an emergency can set the precedent that a standard repair is something that you react instantaneously to. If you find yourself with a tenancy where the tenant has seemingly taken control of the relationship, Is it really possible to regain authority in the relationship? Well, you can, but it is a painful and annoying process. You will need to be firm and use that backbone that hopefully you have. The tenant will complain you aren't accommodating them anymore and accuse you of treating them differently. But the reality of it is, is that you're actually treating them more normally. Because you're regressing back to the rules and regulations and the deadlines that you always had in place. It's going to be annoying how much lip you're likely going to get from the tenant during this process, but it's really important that you stick to your guns and that you follow through. If you have to regain control financially, it gets a little more sticky and expensive. In Wisconsin, we issue things called five days. Now, if you have a tenant who is late on rent in Wisconsin, what you're going to have to do to regain control is issue a five-day notice, and they are going to be shocked when you do that. You're likely going to get a less-than-pleasant phone call from the tenant telling you that you're a horrible person, and why does it suddenly matter because it never mattered before. If they don't pay up during that five-day time period, they're going to try and call your bluff, which means that after the five days is up, and they haven't paid yet, they're going to want to see how long they can drag it out. This is where you can't back down. You must file on that notice. File, get a process server, get it in motion. If you don't follow through at this crucial stage, you will never be able to regain control. This is almost as if you're an old-fashioned western duel. You're both standing there In the middle of the deserted town, you've both got your hands on your guns and your tenant's just sitting there waiting, waiting to see. You've got to pull your gun out of the holster and you've got to fire. You've got to file and get the process server and get the eviction court date. If you don't do this, your eviction threats will be hollow and meaningless. Don't get caught in a trap where you chicken out filing because it's only one month. If you have lost monetary control of the situation, you have lost control over the most important aspect of how successful your rental portfolio is. It doesn't matter how safe and clean your housing is if you aren't getting paid for it. Do yourself a favor and maintain control. Follow your rules and make your needs the priority, but not the need to fill the unit ASAP. Be polite but firm and accommodating when it fits your schedule. Don't place yourself in a rush or a bind to appease the applicant or future tenant. If you follow these rules and your own rules, your future self may just build a time machine to come back and thank you for keeping their landlord life a little simpler.